Hey everybody, welcome to Screen Mavericks, where we take an in-depth dive into your favorite movies and TV shows, new and old. I'm Jen, and as always, I'm joined by the unmatched wit of the lovely Megan. Let's dive on in, and as usual, spoilers ahead. Obviously. Welcome back. It has been a bit of a minute, but we are here with a Halloween-themed episode. Get excited. Uh, And today we are talking about Beetlejuice, which is clearly a fan favorite, not particularly for me, but Jen does love it, so I'm sure she'll have a lot to say on it. Uh, But we are going to be looking at some of the practical effects because this movie was made back in 1988, believe it or not. It has been out for 33 years now. Uh, starring Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, and of course, Michael Keaton. We also have Winona Ryder, who is playing a mom now, and in this, she's literally like 16 when they filmed this, so that was a little wild to see. Uh, But I'm getting off track, so let's get back into it. Beetlejuice. Jen, tell me what you still love about it. So Beetlejuice is, it's actually kind of a bit of a a love for me, but if you think about it, we were only three years old when Beetlejuice originally came out in 1988. I was not allowed to watch this movie for a little bit just because it does tend to lean towards at that age, you know, being a little bit scary. There are, I'm still scared. Let's be honest. I'm still scared by some of the stuff that comes up in Beetlejuice. And I think Beetlejuice himself is somewhat extremely terrifying just because of his misdemeanor his personality and the mold growing on his face. Yeah, he's a lot uglier than what I remember. And also for a movie that he's literally like, that's his name. He's not really in it that much. 14 and a half minutes. Like that's insane. Which is crazy because it's just literally the idea of him. You don't even need him to be there. He does enough damage in 14 and a half minutes that you don't even need for this character. But I mean, Yes, the movie's called Beetlejuice and he is a character in the movie, but I would argue to say that the movie is more about the Maitlands, uh, meaning Adam and Barbara, um, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's characters and their path after they drive their car off a bridge. Spoiler alert. <laughs> anyone who has not seen this movie. Um, Do you even have to like qualify a spoiler alert after 30 years? I feel like that's just like, Null and void. You haven't seen it. That's on you. I I know. I just I I I sometimes think about the Gen Zers out there who think they're just suddenly discovering everything. So I just That's have fair. to be sure. <laughs> you know. So from the time that they they drive their car off to the bridge, and they don't know that they're they're dead. I think the story really does follow most of their path from A to B. They they have this house. They're this young couple. They're renovating this house. They die, and now somebody else is moving into their house with the complete opposite taste. So from kind of like an art department perspective here, when you originally see their house before they die, it's got a very traditional country home interior. You know, like brown, warm woods, warm tones, uh, country-style wallpaper in the kitchen. And then after time has passed and... Delia, Catherine O'Hara's character, takes over the renovations. The house looks like a modern art disaster. 
Yeah, Catherine O'Hara does some damage to that house, like, in the worst way possible. It's just so, like, 80s vibe everywhere. It's awful. She's the most unique character in everything she's in. I love her till the end of time. And, you know, so you have this, like, stark difference. And then you have these people who kind of feel like they don't belong. And now they really feel like they don't belong even in their own house. Which is kind of great where you have this area of the attic, right? That is kind of their hideout. Like they keep trying to keep the door locked to the attic because it's like kind of their space. And earlier on in the movie, just after they've died originally, they're up there kind of just hanging out. And you can still see that Gina Davis's character, Barbara, is still trying to pick out wallpaper for now, like the attic now. Because it was what she was doing just before she died. And now she's up there and this is all they have left of their house is the attic. And she's up there trying to pick out wallpaper samples for the attic. It's kind of a little background thing that I thought was, you know, kind of neat. But I think that's kind of what drives the story is is them, even though the movie is obviously titled Beetlejuice. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I also do like the addition of Winona Ryder's character because she, you know... She's the only person who initially, like, sees them. And it's just because she's, you know, open to it and everything. And she's going through her own issues and troubles with her dad and her stepmom. And I love that, like, these two ghosts end up, like, taking her in, you know, (laughs) and, like, taking care of her. Like, by the end, they're all, like, one cohesive family helping to raise her, even though two of them are dead. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Which is kind of great, though, because I feel like, I feel like that's one of the goals of the movie is the whole time they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of these people. But by the end, they figured out how to coexist. Yeah. And I also just, you know, for me watching this movie back, I haven't seen it in a few years. And there's definitely a lot more like adult humor in it than you realize. Like it's made for, I guess, families to watch. I wouldn't say young kids. It's definitely too scary for young kids. But it's like made to be kind of like a family friendly, probably like PG movie. But you watch it back and you're like, oh, oh, this was put in here for the adults. Oh, absolutely. The movie's filthy. Like I said, my mom wouldn't let me watch it for a while, or even like certain parts, because Beetlejuice himself is like the biggest pervert. Oh, yeah. He's gross. Like just down to everything that he says and does, even when we first meet him, when they first dig him up, the, one of the first things he says to Adam is, how strong is your relationship? Do I have a chance? Let me know. Like, oh, it's just completely inappropriate. And even a little bit down the road, when they start to have problems with Beetlejuice and Gina Davis's uh, character picks him up in her hand and he has like spikes that shoot out. So she drops him in the, the little remake of the village that they have up there. And he starts like dancing down the street and in the village, he put in like a, a, you know, a whorehouse essentially that just says like girls, girls, girls and X. Yeah. And he's like dancing his way into like sin, which I, I think is hilarious, but also it is extremely perverted, but that's just kind of who this character is. You have to take it with a grain of salt. I remember after school, there was like a show, a Beetlejuice cartoon show with like Beetlejuice and Lydia. And I just remember her big like purple eyeshadow eyes. And like it was for kids. So they like took this concept that was for adults essentially. And they, you know, did what they do and turned it into a cartoon for children. I remember watching that pretty regularly, um, more so than the movie. Yeah, I think I probably watched the movie a lot more. I still do. I've seen it 
at least twice in the last six weeks. That's there's so many other Halloween movies out there. Like spread the love. Well, no, originally I watched it because we were going to be covering the podcast, and then we both had things going on, and then uh, I rewatched it again today because it is now officially like Halloween time. So I'm going through my Halloween movie list, and but sometimes you you know like you just I just need noise during work, so I'll put on like a movie I've seen before. So I've already watched Hocus Pocus three times. So. Um, Ugh, love hocus pocus <laughs> but i digress um one of the things about beetlejuice that i love and this is a product of tim burton it is a product of the 1980s the late 1980s it's a product of technology at this time period you know a lot of movies today use a lot of uh, digital effects to tell their story and get their point across when we look at this movie where the amount of practical effects they have is absolutely astounding to me and i nerd out over those kind of little things and the attention to detail is off the charts uh with this movie they are between tim burton and their art department and the art all the people that were involved with set decoration and everything it is one of my favorite movies for that specific reason I, i'll start with the people specifically in the beginning when adam and barbara are first trying to scare the deetses out of their house they go with them do you remember she like opens her mouth really wide and pops her eyes out yeah like, they, onto her yep, tongue. they like stretch their face open yeah and, yeah and then adam like gets rid of his eyes and puts his eyeballs on his fingers and those are all like practical effects and that's how they show up when they're sitting with their caseworker juno for the first time let's go to when they go to see their caseworker because that's where some of the best practical like makeup work in my opinion is happening oh the football players the team oh my gosh everything so when they're in the waiting room right and they go up to the receptionist who clearly has like a cut um cuts on her wrist right it's commented in the movie that people who commit suicide become civil servants so everybody who works in that place committed suicide in some way and you see everybody in the way that they died so the receptionist has slits on her wrist from cutting her wrist and um juno has uh the knife wound across her neck where the smoke ends up coming out when she's smoking cigarettes later on which amazing effect and you have the guy that um takes them down um to where they have to go and he clearly stepped in front of the bus because he looks like he has been run over and there's a guy that passes him who was clearly hung himself it's dark that entire sequence it's so dark but then at the same time while you're in the waiting room you get people and you're like kind of trying to guess how they died you know you you see that like heavy set guy that clearly has a chicken bone <laughs> stuck in his throat um uh, which is a great practice okay so this guy choked it so you're like sitting here trying to figure out how all these people died and there's a surfer and then like you said meg the entire football team comes in because they were in a bus crash and they don't know that they're dead yet and they keep referring to juno as their coach which is also kind of hysterical well and the guy with but the shrunken head yeah the shrunken head is is great and then there's other people in the lobby with shrunken heads who talk to him too much so that you know like these little types of practical effects are so good they make me those kind of effects make me excited for halloween because it makes me feel like those are things that i can actually recreate well and it's like versus... they're all they're all wearing kind of borderline scary halloween costumes you know like they're all mm -hmm. it's all fx makeup all that fun stuff 
Oh, absolutely. Even Juno specifically. Juno looks, so Juno, who uh, being their caseworker, looks almost completely normal except for the slit in her throat where every time she smokes a cigarette, the smoke comes out of the slit. And that alone is such a great practical effect because I feel like today they would either, you know, green screen something or put the smoke in digitally later. It wouldn't look half as cool as any of this looks. And even the set in this place that's kind of like afterlife central i don't remember if they ever actually had a name for where that place was um all the decorations and the sets were just amazing and almost seemingly like chaotic so there's also the worm thing which is like a different part of the movie but it's just as soon as i saw it i was like it's just so tim burton because it's it brings into play the claymation that like obviously mm-hmm. we all know tim burton for and so it's interesting to see the claymation prior to seeing a nightmare before christmas which we know came out after this movie but it just you see that snake thing and you're just like oh my god like this thing could live in a nightmare before christmas that thing could lives in my dreams. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Your nightmares. That's what I meant to say. It lives <laughs> in my nightmares. Uh, yeah, no, the sandworms in that area, if they step out of the house that they fall into, is frightening. I was like, don't leave the house <laughs> ever again. It's just Well, and then the, the way time works. So, you know, Alec Baldwin, is he steps out of the house, and then Gina Davis is like, you were gone for like five hours. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh. It was like five seconds to him, you know? Well, even that, when they go see their caseworker, right, to, to deal, figure out how to deal with the Dietzes, they are only gone for what seems like an hour to them. But when they get back, three months has passed. And yeah. the, that's when they discover that the house looks completely different. And like I said, it's like a modern art nightmare. I mean, now when it goes to practical effects for, you know, gags, like we discussed with them trying to scare the Dietzes either by cutting their head off and being a dead body on the ground, or I think probably one of them, I would argue one, there's a couple really famous scenes in this movie. Um, but the one I'm going to talk about is my personal favorite. And that is when they have the dinner party and Beetlejuice shows up to the party, but in his own way. And that's the famous scene where there's song, they start singing um, the banana boat song. And it begins with, you know, seeing Catherine O'Hare go, Dale, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that at first is, that scene is great for two reasons. One, it starts off with physical comedy that's hysterical. Between them when they're grabbing each other's hands and they're dancing around and uh, Jeffrey Jones' character Charles starts, you know, he stands up and he starts dancing and then they're all like shaking their butts out. But it's the hands so they're all eating right shrimp shrimp cocktails. It's right when the shrimp cocktails come to life and grabs their faces, which are clearly hands that have been <laughs> like prosthetic to look like shrimp cocktail, comes out and grabs each one of them by the face, pulls them down, and then pushes them backwards. Classic. That's. <laughs> I mean, so- it, it is a classic scene. Another one of my favorite scenes too is when they're having the seance. Uh, just because I love how the uh, clothing, like the bride's dress and, you know, the groom's outfit, they just rise up and they like show up into it. It's sad that they get old and crumbly, but like, it's such a cool scene. And they did so great with the way they did that practically with, with exactly what you're saying, with how they kind of rise into their outfits. So good. I love that, that entire, the entire seance scene, um, 
you know, and then when obviously Beetlejuice is there the whole time because he's part of the problem at this point. That's also one of the most terrifying Beetlejuice moments for me personally is I think either right before or right after. I'm going to say it's right after the, that scene. And it's um, when he turns himself into a carnival ride. Mm-hmm. And he's like, step right up. And his arms roll out and they turn into giant hammers. And he yeah. comes down and he hits the two people and they go through the room. It's terrifying. That is a terrifying version of all this, so Beetlejuice, even though he's in the movie for, for only in the movie for fifteen minutes, takes on so many different forms that are horrifying. Because he even takes on the form of a sandworm in that same scene, and it's all practical and it's terrifying. And I think I don't know. I feel like it's a rite of passage for even kids today to see this movie. Yeah, I I want to go back to the dinner party part though, because mm-hmm. even as an adult. If I were one of those people in the dinner party and like all that stuff went down, I'd be like, I'm out. I'm gone. I don't want to be in this house anymore. And they're all like super intrigued. They're like, you know what? We're going to come back. We're going to do a seance. Like, tell us more. And it's like, no, no, this house is clearly haunted. Like, get me the hell away from here. They're all immediately like, how can we make money off of this? Like, how, how do how do we sell this? Meanwhile, I'm like, burn it down. It's like, burn the house to the ground. No, that's absolutely that's that, that is a one of the funniest things about that scene. Because even later, when Beale just turns into that carnival character, they're still laughing. Like, they still think it's funny, right? Until they get yeeted out of the house. <laughs> that is an appropriate term for what happens to them. God, what a movie, man! It's it's one of the most. Um, it's it'll always be like kind of like this traditional Halloween movie. I think for me, I do know that Michael Keaton has said that Beetlejuice is his favorite role, which again is great because he's only in the movie for 15 minutes, but it's such a dynamic character that he made so specifically him. And I was in spirit Halloween recently for any of you who are blissfully unaware in the United States, uh, spirit Halloween is, a seasonal Halloween store that appears out of nowhere in vacant, <laughs> vacant stores. It's different every year. And I was in, I went into two actually spirit Halloweens and Beetlejuice is still a huge deal. You can go and buy the entire full like black and white suit that he wears. You can also buy the maroon tux that he wears at the end when he tries to marry Delia. Nope. Lydia. Lydia. Thank you. <laughs> Their names are very similar. Their names are similar. I also love when they bring her uh, her creations, like her statue, um, and it just, like, encompasses her, uh, Delia. She gets, like, stuck in it, and so does her husband. Mm-hmm. When it comes to life, it becomes their prison so that Beetlejuice can marry a 16-year-old girl. Which, like, that's kind of super problematic. I'm a little surprised that, like, this movie hasn't been canceled because of that. It's not going to get canceled because it's so great. I think the other thing you have to go with is that technically uh, we already, it's not like we don't know that Beetlejuice is a pervert. Like we know he's a pervert, but also he's dead technically. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess like, what do you, cause he's more of a poltergeist, right? Yeah. So I guess it's, I don't know. I don't know where the, the whole poltergeist, I don't know if there's an age limit there, but I don't know how that works. I do love in that scene though how the like uh the fireplace opens up and that little priest guy walks out. Again, yeah. very Tim Burton, 
very Nightmare Before Christmas, like just Tim Burton has a clearly has a vibe. <laughs> oh, he absolutely has a vibe. It's yeah, Tim Burton and I can totally get on board with his vibe. Like he's been around god, it feels like forever cuz I mean the Nightmare Before Christmas, right? That yeah, that came out in like 1991. Uh Corpse Bride came out, I don't know, 2000 something and it's very very similar, you know, look and aesthetic. And, and let's not forget one of the classic Tim Burton movies that kind of has this feel is Edward Scissorhands. Yes. Yeah. Which is its own, you know, nightmare and you know, he gets he gets that and he gets, you know, Sweeney Todd and Mhm. You're, he absolutely does have a vibe. <laughs> I can totally get on board with this vibe, though. I mean, it's Tim Burton. It's a like, little too dark and dreary for me. I mean, yeah. His, a lot of the stuff he does is dark, but also let's not forget he did do Batman and Batman 2, which are in his repertoire. Wait, but like, did he do the Batmans with uh, Danny DeVito and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Yeah, no, right. that makes that, sense. I can, I right. can see that. that yeah. had, um, so it was Batman and Batman, and uh, Danny DeVito was Batman Returns, right, as the Penguin. So, yeah, no, that is actually very Tim Burton now that you I think just, about yeah, it. Yeah, I just remember the Penguin having, like, black blood dripping down his mouth. So Oh, the Penguin was, like, one of the most frightening characters. Still, I watched that movie recently, and I was like, that's horrifying. Which is crazy, because it's Danny DeVito. Like, who thinks Danny DeVito is scary? <laughs> Then I thought he was scary. And then now since, you know, the younger generations know him from, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. So it's like looking back going, how, how are you the same person? That's fair. What happens when you end up in the hands of Tim Burton? (laughs) You know, you just kind of get this like frightening. brings, Brings out the macabre. Absolutely. What'll be interesting is if they ever actually decide to do a second one. They are. Yeah. There's one coming out. Are they doing it? Well, because originally they were supposed to do a follow up back way back when, like there was supposed to be a follow up way back when. And then um, Tim Burton kind of lost interest and decided to do Batman and Batman Returns. So it's interesting to see some of these movies. And I'm going to use Hocus Pocus as an example where these, you know, large amounts of time have passed for these kind of cult classic movies and then suddenly they're like, we, we got to go back. We got to go back and we got to revisit. As far as I know, Beetlejuice 2 is supposed to be coming out sometime in 2022. And, and it has the entire cast. Like it's got, you know, Gina Davis, Alec Baldwin, Lydia, whose name is escaping me right now. Obviously, Michael Keaton. Winona um, Ryder. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if pandemic maybe changed that. But last I heard, they're supposed to be doing that. And like you said, it is super interesting to see them coming out with all of these, you know, part twos 20, 30 years later. Because as you said, Hocus Pocus 2. They they just started filming it. They're still building the town in Rhode Island, which is taking place in Lincoln. And then they only just hired the three girls that are bringing them back within the last month. And they just started shooting at um, um, this preparatory college in Rhode Island in providence oh my god this is gonna be so exciting i just we live in such an interesting time where things from our past are being brought back but not even like redone like literal just like part twos you know (laughs) it's so interesting i'm okay i see this is uh, you know keeping on the a little bit on the theme of beetlejuice 
I'm okay with these part twos because, you know, some of them, they're like, we want to bring back the original cast. We want this story to continue from the story that you know and love and all this stuff. My whole issue is when they're like, let's remake this movie. And I go, get out of here right now. That's actually, I'd say something worse. But They've done that for plenty of movies. Um, and some of them, it's it's worth it because like at the time they were made, maybe we didn't have all the all the cool features and like effects that we do now that like make the movie better. But some of them, it's like just it's a classic. Just leave it be. Just leave it be. Yeah, I think, you know, they did that recently with a movie that we have covered, I think, right in the beginning on our podcast um, with She's All That. And I was I was made, thinking that while we were talking, they, about they yep. made a gender swap version of it. And uh, I watched it because I had to. It wasn't horrific. Well, and, and that, to be fair, they did change it up a little. You know, it's not the same movie. They did a gender swap version. So it is a different right. movie on its own, which I'm fine with. You want to reimagine it? Great. But like, I mean, I don't know. who Who's to say? I think that my the hardest part for me to grasp was because they modernized it. And I remember thinking to myself, is this really what high schoolers are worrying about these days? And I, you know, they still kept this story about, you know, the rich kids. And that was always part of the story back, even back then. But Rachel Lee Cook and Matthew Lillard were both in the new movie, but not as their characters from the original movie. Which is movie. a missed opportunity. Like, I know, that's what I said. I was like, it's a missed opportunity for yeah. awesomeness. Yeah. They could have very easily just had made that Lainey's daughter. Yep. It would have been a simple rewrite and we all would have been like, great, that's great. Now the adults are on board. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did see something fun like that in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina where they did bring back the ants from uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and they were playing their characters from that show. So it was like a cool, you know, moment where they're just kind of like we we're doing this for the fans like we know what people want to see which is is kind of what's happening i I think with with hocus pocus and then beetlejuice will be this i I feel like it's more like a a tribute or a way to say thank you to the fans for keeping the spirit of the movie alive for 30 years yeah and a little side note speaking of sabrina the teenage witch they're coming out with a new series and it's going to be sabrina's daughter so that's exciting uh, if we ever release our Sabrina the Teenage Witch episode, uh, we'll be talking about that show. But I'm pretty excited. I'll I'll probably watch the new show. Not going to lie. I probably won't. So that's all on you. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep rewatching ruins of the TV show until the end of time. But that's about it. Uh, but back to Beetlejuice. This wonderful, you know, horrifying movie. Here's my question. I, I want to know if this movie was made today what do you think it would look like because if this movie was made today they would scrap pretty much i'm gonna guess most of the practical effects because everything's digitally done this these days yes and no i don't know i mean like that's a big opportunity to use like you see some of these people on instagram and tiktok and youtube like some of these fx artists who are just phenomenal and they're literally mm-hmm. making these creations from their home like they're not paid to do this they're just doing it and there's a lot of them are self-taught like i think Mm -hmm. that would have been a cool opportunity you know if they were reimagining this and and doing it nowadays that would be a real cool opportunity to utilize these up-and-coming 
people in the industry that are either self-taught or just like make these amazing creations. So like, I think if you got the right director and the right people funding the movie, it could be really cool and done with practical effects and a good mix of digital effects that enhance the movie, but don't take away the, you know, the magic of the practicality of it. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with that. I think I follow some of, I follow a few um, special effects artists on like Instagram and I am blown away with the stuff that they're able to create even to this day. And I think in general, I wish sometimes that more practical effects would come into things, but, but the big, but is I get in order to tell, you know, some of the stories that we're trying to tell these days, it's just a lot easier to use digital effects. That yeah. and it's, you know, time and money. Like it's probably cheaper oh, yeah. to do it's some some graphics versus oh, trying well. to hire somebody to do all these practical and then have to take multiple takes of it. So Yeah. And I remember seeing like stories when Avengers Endgame came out and they were talking about that scene where all the portals open. <laughs> and literally the entire cast of all the movies is like walking through these portals or was already there on the battlefield. And the ability to create massive scenes that are that big really does fall into the digital realm now yeah because i mean how of it did i just can't think of a practical way to shoot that <laughs> literally at all so i that i understand and i think that's where the need is for you know probably the digital aspect but at the same time one of my all-time favorite movies that came out in the early 2000s which is um hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy they kind of went with this aspect of what I loved about Beetlejuice and they use a, all of these great, amazing practical effects throughout the entire movie. I mean, there's uh, have you ever seen it? Of course I've seen it. The answer to life okay. 42. <laughs> um, you know, especially like when they turn to yarn after jumping through the, um, the infinity button and they all for a second are like yarn figurines. Mm hmm. <laughs> that was all real that was all like stop motion yarn figurine animation and it's absolutely amazing and i will always be here for it um but even the vogons you know the bad guys in that entire story every single vogon costume was practical and it was it just added to how ugly and disgusting they were i think that's something that sometimes gets lost in the digital realm Meanwhile, movies like The Dark Crystal, I'm like, hell no, please don't ever make me watch this ever again. It's all like puppets and practical. No, hate it. I nightmares as an adult, still nightmares. I will not watch the show. Won't do it. I think in the real realm of like, I wouldn't put I mean, Beetlejuice is in the scary movie genre, but it's also not for me. I would also say that there's a good comedic point to that movie. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. Where, I feel like it's a unique blend. I mean, I feel like they have to be classified as Halloween movies. You know, like you can't really call them scary. Correct. I you agree. You can't really call them I funny. Agree. Like it's just it's a Halloween movie. <laughs> Which I and, and yes, anybody who's listening, before you make the argument, yes, we know that it actually has nothing to do with Halloween. I, that's fair, but it, it's a Halloween movie. But so. it's a movie that you watch <laughs> at Halloween. If you'd like to hear more about this argument, please go watch our Christmas uh, or go listen to our Christmas podcast about uh, is uh, Gremlins and Die Hard a Christmas movie. See which side I'm you just... fall on. <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, you can make the same argument here with Beetlejuice doesn't have anything to do with Halloween, but it is a movie that you consistent people consistently watch in what month? October, or at least 
that's how my brain works. <laughs> no, I agree. I fully agree. A lot of the movies I watch during October gearing up for Halloween are movies that I deem Halloween movies and not horror movies. I wouldn't say that I watch a lot of horror movies because it's just not really my genre. I I would much rather go for psychological thrillers. I'd much rather be like messed up in the head than somebody scaring the crap out of me. But it doesn't mean that the nightmare still won't come. You know, anytime I think the first I didn't see The Shining till I was in college. And that left a fun scar. I have mixed feelings on that because I love a good psychological thriller. However, I am currently watching Squid Game, which we will do an episode on, and I hate it. And don't don't get it twisted. It is an excellent show. I hate it though. I hate it. You're and one I, of the few. I would I would classify that as kind of a psychological thriller. Oh right? no, it is. A, it's absolutely yeah. psychological. Thriller, and I yeah. like those, but but I it's just... not. But it's not a horror movie. No, I agree. Or, I mean, it's not a horror series. It is absolutely a psychological thing, especially because how far are you into the show? I'm just going to make a quick reference. Uh, maybe we won't spoil it for people on this. This it's not a spoiler. Okay. So I'm on episode six. Is like when I think about a psychological thriller and how I put movies into that category, is if while I'm watching, I'm constantly questioning one, what would I do? Mm-hmm. Two, by trying to put my like moral thought process on it, or think about what would you do in this situation? Would you would you go for it? Or like but the thing is is that none of us you know, people can speculate about certain things with psychological thrillers that way, because even there's a movie that terrified me more than any horror movie ever will. And it was the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds, where he's buried alive in a coffin for two hours. And a fun fact of that film, they never use the same angled shot yeah. twice. It's that style of minimalist filmmaking. Um, and Ryan Reynolds himself was not okay after he shot that movie. Even he was terrified. And I'm claustrophobic. So it tapped in. I feel like for me, if you can figure out a way to tap into one of my actual fears, like not clowns or goblins or anything, but I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of small places. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you put those things together, I'm horrified. Oh my God. Yeah. Nightmares for weeks. Do you remember? I think it was called Boogeyman. The one with um, Barry Watson from Seventh Heaven. You remember that movie? It wasn't good. I, re- I never I, saw it, but I, I remember what so, you were talking about. <laughs> spoiler alert on this one. Sorry, not sorry. But uh, I always was like, yeah, like you, I'm a, like a little scared of the dark. And like when I'm home by myself, I can like freak myself out. And it's always just like I use the rationale of like, it's fine. Like the boogeyman lives in the closet and I'm not a kid, you know, so like n- nobody's going to come after me. Also, boogeyman doesn't exist, but you know, whatever. So... <laughs> I watched this movie and freaking the boogeyman pulled him under the bed and attacked him. And he's a grown ass adult. And I was like, well, there goes my theory. I don't know how I'm going to rationalize this at night. (laughs) But it's fair. I think if you're trying to tap into people's fears and then, you know, come with, you know, the horror genre. And I think the last thing that I probably actually really watched in that genre was um, The Haunting of Hill House when that first came out on Netflix. I've heard um, it's so good. I have not gotten around to watching it, though. Um, you know, we can we can probably cover that at some point, just the first season. And um, But that was something where I, 
and this is not a this is not a spoiler alert, by the way. I know you haven't seen it, but I watched that in the in my basement in the dark. First of all, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, that's a hard pass. No. <laughs> so I watched it, um, you know, in the basement, and I wore my gaming headphones, which are oh are, god, like, no, Chen, you can't sound. even hear the things around you. <laughs> but that's what the sound was so brilliantly designed in this show that there was a point where I full-fledged screamed and ripped the headphones off my head <laughs> and threw them across the room. I remember being so mad at myself because it it's like a $200 pair of headphones that went flying because I was that terrified of what I was watching on the screen. Oh my gosh. But I will also say that even though I'm not big into the horror genre, I am a bit of a wimp when it comes to like ghost anything. Whether you believe or not, that's uh, I, that's not important. But, you know, when I was in college, my friends would be like, oh, this place is supposed to be haunted. Let's go in here. Let's not and say we did. <laughs> Let's just not. <laughs> and I'd be just standing there out on the sidewalk, like, you know, like <laughs> the wimp. And I'd be like, all right, but who's really the wimp when I'm the only one who makes it out of this situation? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, you know, it is spooky season. So I love like thinking back on all the things that have scared me movie wise as a kid, you know, like when I watched Poltergeist with my best friend, Christine, like, God, we were eight nine oh I my know. gosh you watched that i didn't watch that until i was like 32 well so we watched it in her basement and like neither of our parents knew we watched it and then i was like freaking out at night thinking that this giant poltergeist head was gonna like come out of the closet covered in jelly goop or whatever it is you know just screaming like Caroline or whatever but uh yeah no i couldn't tell my parents because i wasn't supposed to watch it so i had to just be scared <laughs> that's fair i th- that's fair i think you know, when we were that age, I think even I remember my first rated R movie was Scream. So, mm-hmm. you know, which, by the way, I've watched as an adult and gone, what the heck were you scared of? So, <laughs> you know, I get that. But I think even in the realm of Beetlejuice, when I was younger, there were certain things about Beetlejuice that were unsettling, even just about his appearance. And one of those things that always bothered me is his teeth. Oh, God. Yeah. His teeth are the worst. Like they are legit disgusting. Like I'm just afraid of his teeth. Well, and then just he because... eats bugs at some point too, and I'm just like, now I'm out. Well, see that. See that's an interesting thing too about him, his character, because when we first meet him again, we're gonna go back to the yes, he's a pervert thing, but he also gets very close to you. Like when he first is introducing himself to Adam and Barbara, he gets very close, very handsy, not in a disgusting way but you know arms around the shoulder like hugging them gets like kind of in their face meanwhile he clearly has messed up teeth and horrible breath and that is kind of a way i get unsettled just by watching that interaction you know and i don't know if it's because like you know covid where i'm like you know six six feet away get away from me you know what i mean that kind of back up thought process (laughs) but I'm just like, you're in my bubble and this is making me very uncomfortable. So I feel like you're already you're already made to feel so unsettled by this character that anytime he does appear on screen, which isn't not, uh, that much, he makes an impact on your psyche. Yeah, he does. Which, classic, it'll always be classic Michael Keaton, classic Timber in, in all the best ways possible. 
We want to know your thoughts on Beetlejuice. Do you love the movie? Do you hate the movie? Do you think it's aged well? What's your favorite practical effect? Let us know. Hit us up on Instagram. We love to hear from you. And have a wonderful and happy Halloween. A big thank you to all of our internet peeps for listening and joining us today. We appreciate every single one of you. Join us next week for a deep dive into your favorite movies and TV shows and follow us on Instagram at Screen Mavericks Podcast. And as always, be awesome and keep streaming.